Old Treasures Made New, your devotional podcast on the go or at home, where we read the scriptures and reflect on them with those from the past. Today we'll be reading Matthew 6, verses 9 to 15, and then through J.C. Ryle's expository thoughts on Matthew. Please take a moment to pause and ask the Holy Spirit to bring understanding and to apply what we hear. Matthew, chapter 6, verses 9 to 15. Pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive you your trespasses. This is the word of the Lord. Perhaps no part of Scripture is so well known as this. Its words are familiar wherever Christianity is found. Thousands and tens of thousands who never saw a Bible or heard the pure gospel are acquainted with our Father and Paternoster, Latin phrase for the Lord's Prayer. Happy would it be for the world if this prayer was well known in the Spirit as it is in the letter. Perhaps no part of Scripture is so full and so simple at the same time as this. It is the first prayer which we learn to offer up when we are little children. Here is its simplicity. It contains the germ of everything which the most advanced saint can desire. Here is its fullness. The more we ponder every word it contains, the more we shall feel this prayer is of God. The Lord's Prayer consists of ten parts or sentences. There is one declaration of the being to whom we pray. There are three prayers respecting his name, his kingdom, and his will. There are four prayers respecting our daily needs, our sins, our weaknesses, and our dangers. There is one profession of our feelings toward others. There is one concluding ascription of praise. In all these parts, we are taught to say we and our. We are to remember others as well as ourselves. On each of these parts, a volume might be written. We must content ourselves at present with taking up sentence by sentence and marking out the direction in which each sentence points. The first sentence declares to whom we are to pray, our Father in heaven. We are not to cry to saints and angels, but to the everlasting Father, the Father of spirits, the Lord of heaven and earth. We call him Father in the lowest sense as our Creator, As Paul told the Athenians, In him we live and move and have our being. We are also his offspring. Acts 17 verse 28. We call him Father in the highest sense, as the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, reconciling us to himself through the death of his Son. Colossians 1 20-22. We profess that which the Old Testament saints only saw dimly, if at all. We profess to be his children by faith in Christ and to have the spirit of adoption whereby we cry, Abba, Father, Romans 8.15. This, we must never forget, is the sonship that we must desire if we would be saved. Without faith in Christ's blood and union with him, it is vain to talk of trusting in the fatherhood of God.
The second sentence is a petition respecting God's name. Hallowed be your name. By the name of God, we mean all those attributes under which he is revealed to us. His power, wisdom, holiness, justice, mercy, and truth. By asking that they may be hallowed, we mean that they are being made known and glorified. The glory of God is the first thing that God's children should desire. It is the object of one of our Lord's own prayers. Father, glorify your name. John 12 verse 28. It is the purpose for which the world was created. It is the end for which the saints are called and converted. It is the chief thing we should seek, that in all things God may be glorified. 1 Peter 4 verse 11. The third sentence is a petition concerning God's kingdom. Your kingdom come. By his kingdom we mean first the kingdom of grace which God sets up and maintains in the hearts of all living members of Christ by his spirit and word. But we mean chiefly the kingdom of glory which shall one day be set up when Jesus shall come the second time and all men shall know him from least to the greatest. This is the time when sin and sorrow and Satan shall be cast out of the world. It is the time when the Jews shall be converted and the fullness of the Gentiles shall come in Romans 11, verse 25, and a time that is above all things to be desired. It therefore fills a foremost place in the Lord's Prayer. We ask that which is expressed in the words of the burial service, that it may please you to hasten your kingdom. The fourth sentence is a petition concerning God's will. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We here pray that God's laws may be obeyed by men as perfectly, readily, and unceasingly as they are by angels in heaven. We ask that those who do not now obey his laws may be taught to obey them, and that those who do obey them may obey them better. Our truest happiness is perfect submission to God's will, and it is the highest charity to pray that all mankind may know it, obey it, and submit to it. The fifth sentence is a petition respecting our own daily needs. Give us this day our daily bread. We are here taught to acknowledge our entire dependence on God for the supply of our daily necessities. As Israel required daily manna, so we require daily bread. We confess that we are poor, weak, needy creatures, and implore him who is our maker to take care of us. We ask for bread as the simplest of our needs, and in that word we include all that our bodies require. The sixth sentence is a petition respecting our sins. Forgive us our debts. We confess that we are sinners and we need daily grants of pardon and forgiveness. This is a part of the Lord's Prayer which deserves especially to be remembered. It condemns all self-righteousness and self-justifying. We are instructed here to keep up a continual habit of confession at the throne of grace and a continual habit of seeking mercy and remission. Let this never be forgotten. We need to daily wash our feet. John 13 verse 10. The seventh sentence is a profession respecting our own feelings toward others. We ask our Father to forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. This is the only profession in the whole prayer and the only part on which our Lord comments and dwells when he has concluded the prayer. 
The plain object of it is to remind us that we must not expect our prayers for forgiveness to be heard if we pray with malice and spite in our hearts toward others. To pray in such a frame of mind is mere formality and hypocrisy. It is even worse than hypocrisy. It is as much as saying, do not forgive me at all. Our prayer is nothing without charity. We must not expect to be forgiven if we cannot forgive. The eighth sentence is a petition respecting our weakness. Lead us not into temptation. It teaches us that we are liable at all times to be led astray and fall. It instructs us to confess our infirmity and implore God to hold us up and not allow us to run into sin. We ask him, who orders all things in heaven on earth, to restrain us from going into that which would injure our souls, and never to allow us to be tempted above that which we are able to bear. 1 Corinthians 10 verse 13. The ninth sentence is a petition respecting our dangers. Deliver us from evil. We are here taught to ask God to deliver us from evil that is in the world, the evil that is within our own hearts, and not least that from the evil one, the devil. We confess that, so long as we are in the body, we are constantly seeing, hearing, and feeling the presence of evil. It is about us, and within us, and around us on every side. And we entreat him, who alone can preserve us, to be continually delivering us from its power. John 17, verse 15. The last sentence is an ascription of praise. Yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory. We declare in these words our belief that the kingdoms of this world are the rightful property of our Father, that to him alone belongs all power, and that he alone deserves to receive all glory. And we conclude by offering to him the profession of our hearts, that we give him all honor and praise, and rejoice that he is King of kings and Lord of lords. And now let us all examine ourselves and see whether we really desire to have the things for which we are taught to ask for in the Lord's Prayer. Thousands, it may be feared, repeat these words daily as a form, but never consider what they are saying. They care nothing for the glory, the kingdom, or the will of God. They have no sense of dependence, sinfulness, weakness, or danger. They have no love or charity towards their enemies. And yet they repeat the Lord's Prayer. These things ought not to be so. May we resolve that, by God's help, our hearts shall go together with our lips. Happy is he who can really call God his Father through Jesus Christ his Savior, and can therefore say a heartfelt Amen to all that the Lord's Prayer contains. That is the end of Ryle's expository thoughts for these verses. Let us carefully consider what we have heard today, and may the Lord be pleased to bring the growth for His glory.